journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavuot Tov, Shavuot Tov. I hope that everybody is well and everybody's enjoying the beautiful sunshine outside. I'm so glad it is summer again. I absolutely love it. I thrive in it and I hope you are too. We're going to spend the next three quarters of an hour learning Torah together and learning something very, very interesting and perhaps controversial. Um, and as always, I'm happy to uh, discuss controversy on the radio. If you are going to want to pass a comment or ask a question, 34519 is our SMS line. 0618951019 is our SMS uh, number. And we're going to discuss something that, as I've been learning and going through it, actually begets a lot of questions. I think today, in today's society, we have a lot of um, gray area when it comes to morality and that which is right and that which is wrong. Um, today, I think that there is so much um, liberalism out there. And again, I'm not knocking, knocking, and that's why I'm saying it's probably going to be a bit controversial. Um, I am not knocking that, you know, every single person has a right and every single person has a... Uh, a, a, a need and a, um, a responsibility to live in whichever way they deem fit. Nevertheless, society cannot live only just on everybody having a free for all to do whatever they want, when they want, and how they want. Because we don't, we're not an island. We don't live unto ourselves. We live in society. We live amongst other people. And, you know, um, law and order has to prevail. And what happens when Law and order breaks down. What happens when there is a breaking of the basic morality, uh, morality of a society? How does one, uh, how does, how, how does one behave and how does one go about it? Well, to start with and, and, and to posit it, um, I would go and say that one cannot even make up the law themselves because you can allow yourself and be convinced yourself to do things that perhaps have absolutely no place because it's just it becomes a very personal um, thinking for example let's take the idea of 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 abortion abortion is something that is heavily debated in society like what is right and what is wrong well there is a fair amount to be said and fair fair comments on the fact that a woman has a right to her own body and that, you know, that, 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 that she has certain rights and responsibilities. But at the same time, um, one doesn't talk about the fetus and their rights. And so going and taking a law such as abortion and say, well, abortion is allowed because at the end of the day, it's just about the mother. It's not about the child is intrinsically wrong. And the same thing comes along when it comes to murder, it comes to, to, to adultery, it comes to a whole lot of these big issues. When we sit there and discuss, we can go and find every single um, excuse under the sun as to why we should or shouldn't and debate it. If we are just debating it, you know, my idea versus your idea, we're probably going to land up in a, a relative space, okay, meaning that we are, we, you know, I'm right, you're right, so who's really right? 
in order to have a moral society, we need to deal in the absolute. We need to have an authority much greater than ourselves to go and say that is this is right and this is wrong. And this is where the beauty of Torah comes in. The beauty of Torah comes in because we've got God, who's our manufacturer. He's given us his uh, instruction manual. He's given us, you know, the manual that tells us how everything should work. And at the end of the day, when we land up with these moral dilemmas or ideas as to whether we should do something right or shouldn't, um, we can fall back on this instruction manual and it can guide us in an absolute way, taking away our emotion, our tendencies, our way of looking at the world, etc., etc., and this is what Jews have been doing for thousands of years. We have been looking into the Torah and we have been trying to understand how it is that we need to deal morally, ethically and correctly. And we are going to now look at chapter 34 of Genesis um, and we are going to read perhaps, I think it is the first incidence in, in recorded history, as in the Bible, of a rape. What happens when you have a society that is so morally decadent and goes and rapes a young girl? What would we be, what should we do? What do we do? What was done? And we are going to take it from there. So if you have a five books of Moses, you've got the Bible in front of you. We're looking at chapter 34. This is a very, very unfortunate um, set of circumstances that we are going to look at. And uh, we're going to try to dissect it. And as always, I'd love your viewpoint. Love to know, you know, what you're thinking and how how you see things. And let's see how Torah dissects it and what it actually says. Vatetse Dina. Now there was a daughter called Dina. Remember, Yaakov had twelve sons, but uh, he also had one daughter. Her name was Dina. Remember that where we left off was that Yaakov settled just outside uh, Shechem, where um, he was residing on his way back to his parents. And so his daughter Dina, but Leah, she was the daughter of Leah. That's going to be significant. Asher Yalda Leyaakov, she gave birth to this daughter, to Yaakov. What did she do? She went out, Lirot Bivnot Haaret. She went out to visit the local girls. She was a curious girl and she went to, to go out and, um, see what was happening outside. What I'm going to do, um, is I'm going to read the entire story and then go back and try to dissect it and see how we understand it. So off she goes and she goes out and what happens to her? Vayar ota Shechem. Um, the Shechem, and who was Shechem? Ben Hamor Chachivi Nesiha Aretz. He was the son of the chief of the re- of the region, Hamor the Chivite. So Shechem had a father, Hamor. Hamor the Chivite was the regional chief in the area. He saw her. Vayikach Ota. He takes her. Vayishkav Ota, and he sleeps with her. Vayaaneha, and he mistreats her. In modern terms, we basically would say. He took this child and he raped her. But what happens after that? Vatidbak nafsho bedina bat Yaakov. He becomes deeply attached to Yaakov's daughter Dina. Vayehav etana'ara. He falls in love with her. 
Vayedaber alev hanara, and he tries to speak to the heart of the girl. Obviously, you can just imagine um, behind the scenes that Dina is not exactly very excited and happy as to what would happen, but he tries to woo her to, 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 no, to no avail. So what does he do? So Shem, the rapist, goes to El Hamor Aviv, to Hamor, his father, who's the chieftain, Lamor, and he says to him, Kachli et hayalda hazot leisha, give me this young girl as a wife. The Yaakov Shama, Yaakov in the meantime hears, Ki time et dina bito, that his daughter Dina has been, um, violated. Vayichar lachem meod, sorry, I missed one space over there, sorry. Um, Ubanav hayu et miknehu besade, his sons were tending the livestock in the fields, Vayecherish, Yaakov ad bevoam, he remained silent, until they come home. So what happened here is that um, that Yaakov hears about it, but he doesn't do anything about it until his sons come home. So Shechem decides to go to Yaakov, to speak to him. And Yaakov's sons are returning from the field when they heard what had happened, they were shocked. They were unbelievably shocked, the brothers, to hear what had happened to their baby sister. And they were seething with anger. Why? Because this is an outrage in Israel. We certainly do not hold by raping or adultery or any type of sexual misconduct. Okay? Um, why was it an outrage um, with the daughter of Yaakov? Why? Such a thing could not be tolerated. So you can just imagine right now what we're seeing is a very, very, very strong, angry, rightfully ang- angry reaction to the raping of their sister Dina. And now the father Hamor is coming to talk to them. Hamor says to them, Lamor, Shem Bni, my son Shem, Hashka Nafsho Bitchem. My son Shem is deeply in love with your daughter. Tnuna Otaloleisha, if you would let him marry her. Vehit Hatnu Otanu Binotechem, Knitnu Lanu et Binotenu, Tikhulachem. And you can give us your daughters, and we will give you your daughters. He's talking here about assimilating. Let's, this is, my, my son has fallen in love with your daughter. Let's make a pact. I'll, we'll give you your daughters. We'll give you ours. And, you know, there will be other things. There'll be economic, uh, repercussions. Good ones. Why? By itanu teshevah, um, teshevah, you will live with us. Okay. Ve'aretz tihiel lifnechem. And the land will be open before you. Shuvu uscharuha ve'he'achazu ba. And you can do business and you can own it as your property. And Shem says to her father and to her brothers, Please let me find favor in your eyes. Whatever you want, whatever you say, I will give. 
Mohar Umatan, set the dowry, set the bridal payment and the gift for very high. It doesn't matter how much it will cost. I will give whatever you say to me. Just give me the girl for a wife. So you can see that uh, Shem is very, very, very um, decisive about the girl that he wants. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. This is 101.5 FM. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back. And we are studying and looking at chapter 34 of Genesis, where we have just read that Dina, Yaku's daughter, got raped by Shem, the son of uh, Hamor. And they are now trying to busily negotiate with Yaakov and the sons to allow Yaakov to give Dina as their daughter and in turn there will be economic um, e- economic re- reper- uh, repercussions as well as the ability to assimilate. We're looking at verse 13 now. So Yaakov's sons answer Shem and Hamor uh, their father. They, they, they spoke with him really having an ulterior motive. Meaning what they were saying <clears throat> was not necessarily what was going to transpire. But let's carry on reading and see what happens. Um, they were speaking to them um, on the fact that they had defiled the sister Dina. They said to them, we, it's not possible for us to do this thing. We cannot give our sister to a man who is uncircumcised. Because it's a disgrace to us. It would be the only way we will be able to agree to you. If you will be like us. That you go and circumcise every single male. Then we will be able to give you our daughters to you and you will take our daughters from us. And then we will be, we will live together and we will be one clan. But if you are not interested in circumcising, Okay, if you don't accept our terms to be circumstanced, then give us back our daughter and we will go. We will leave. Hamor is completely blinded, right? It seemed fair that the, the term seemed fair to him. And also to Shem, the rapist, who was the son of Hamor. Shem, the, the, the young guy, did not waste any time in doing it. Because he wanted the daughter of Yaakov. He was the most respected in his father's home. He wanted to set the example. He didn't tarry. Hamor and Shem go to the men of the city. And they speak to the men of, city, of the city and they say, These these men are friendly towards us. Um, they live on the land. 
They'll be doing business from it. The land has enough room to be open to them. We will marry their daughters and I will give, and we will give them our daughters. Ah, but in order to get this economic and social, uh, uh, thing on board, there is a proviso. Ah, bezot, yo'atanu lanu, anashim rasheveditanu, in order for these people to, uh, consent to live with us and become one clan, lihiyot la'amechad, Bihimol lanu kozachar kasher They want us to be circumcised, uh, want us to be circumcised just as they are circumcised. Miknehem bekinyanam beko behemtam halolanu hein achno neota lanu vieshuitanu. But just imagine, just for the small thing of circumcise, uh, circumcising ourselves, their livestock, their possessions, and all the animals be with ours. Let's just agree with them. Let us just live with them. Obviously, as you are hearing me read this, you can see that both sides have ulterior motives. Okay? Um, because no, Yaakov is not going to necessarily right now or ever agree that we are going to assimilate with the people of Shechem. And the people of Shechem, yeah, they're, they're prepared to circumcise not because they want mutual cooperation, but once that they can get their hands on all the wealth um, that Yaakov has, for sure they also have ulterior motives to kill Yaakov and his sons. So obviously there's an entire debate. The Yishmu al Hamor al Shechem, the people of the city listen to Hamor and Shechem, but no Koyote Sha'ar Iro, anybody who passed through the city, Vayimoilu Kol Zachar Koyote Sha'ar Iro. And they all agreed and they invited Yaakov's sons to come circumcise them. So what actually happened is that in the next two days, this happened on a Sunday, the next two days, Yaakov's son went and circumcised all the people of Shechem. There were a few that weren't. Um, when I come back to the story, I'll tell you who wasn't. But what happens after that? And it was on the third day, when they were in tremendous pain, Shimon and Levi, Yaakov's two sons, took Ache Dina, they went, they were also the brothers of Dina, Ishharbo, each of them took their sword, the Yavoyu El they came to the city, Betach, they came very confidently, they were not afraid, Vihargu Kozachar, they went and killed every single male. Bet Hamor, Bet Shembeno, Hargu, they killed Hamor, they killed Shem, Lifne Horeb with the sword by Yikhua Dina, Mi Bet Shem, and then they managed to release Dina from the house of Shem, Ba Yetu. Bene Yaakov Bau ala Halalim, Yaakov's sons come upon the corpses, the rest of the sons, okay, they came to see what Shimon and Levi had actually done. They plunder the city that defiled their sister. They took the donkeys that were um, in the city and in the in the field. And they also took women. They plundered everything. They took women and children captive. They plundered all their wealth and they took everything from the house. And finally, we have, we see the last two verses go by Yomer Yaakov and Shimon and Levi. Yaakov and, uh, gets very cross with Shimon and Levi 
And he says, Avartem oti lahashvi'eni biyoshev ha'aretz ba'knani u'baprizi. You have made trouble for me because now I look obnoxious um, to the inhabitants of the land, to the other guys. Remember, this was the Chivat, to the Knanim, to the Prism. Okay. Um, they will bandy together, they will attack me, and I and my family will be wiped out. To which their brothers replied, Vayomru. What did you want us to do? This is me paraphrasing. Would, should we have allowed our daughter to remain a harlot? There you have it. There's the story of the, uh, the rape of Dina and the repercussions that happened um, when she was raped. Now, I've got to go back a little bit and just look at the various verses and just start trying to understand a whole lot of things about it, okay? Um, because so much comes up in this story to dissect. The first, the first part is that one needs to understand why does it say um, that Dina is the daughter of Leah that she gave birth to Yaakov. So we st- first are needing to understand the personality of Dina. So if you recall in previous podcasts, we spoke about the fact that uh, Leah and the other three wives of Yaakov were to have the 12 tribes. Leah had six boys and she had basically fulfilled double the amount of everybody else. And she fell pregnant again with a seventh pregnancy. And she knew that if she had another boy, she would be really encroaching particularly on her sister Rachel because um, after Bila and Zilpah, there were only two boys to be born. Um, and so it says that she actually conceived a boy and she prayed very hard and this boy was changed in utero to a girl and she gave birth to a girl. So... Over here, we're told that she's Batleya, Asheyalda Yaakov. It's this particular girl, this one who was really supposed to be a boy that landed up a girl that landed getting herself into trouble. And the rabbis start dissecting like what was the trouble and what does it teach about what Torah talks about when it comes to socialization and, um, and the ability of women to go out. Now, this is a, a, a particularly complex discussion, and I'm going to try wrap it up in a, a, a bit a, a, a nutshell. But Torah, Torah frowns upon the fact that a woman goes out and behaves and works in a man's world, and the reason why Torah frowns upon that um, in its essence, and I'm going to try contextualize it because 2021 is very, very different to biblical times or a hundred years ago, etc., etc., is that Torah was very, very cognizant and we cannot, we cannot uh, deny that once a woman steps into a man's world, okay, um, she compromises herself in terms of her um, socializing with strange men. 
Now, there can be the argument, but, you know, a woman can do this and a woman should do that. And, she, and, and yes, she can do all of these things. And it's not necessarily about the woman. It's about the environment that one finds oneself in. And this um, relates back to the fact that Torah demands modesty and uh, a, 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 um, a persona of integrity when a woman goes out simply because Torah understands how the world is hardwired to be driven by sexuality, by attraction, by all of those things that, that, that happen in the world. Now, if we go and look at 2021 and we see the amount of times that, that, that women are raped, that women are sexually abused, that there is abuse in the marketplace, and I support 100% all those societies and people and, and, and uh, groups that fight against um, against the abuse of women, and there's absolutely no 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 uh, justification whatsoever. At the same time and in the same breath, I have to say that women have to take a responsibility to ensure that when they do go out, that they go out in a way that doesn't um, put a stumbling block before the blind. If you go out and you are showing off your wares. If you are going out and you are out there to entice um, what is out there, then we have a responsibility and we have some part to play in it. And what our rabbis were coming to teach over here is not that a woman cannot be a CEO or cannot be a good lawyer or cannot go out and work, but that there has to be laws, there have to be gedarim, there have to be fences around the manner in which she conducts herself because the world can be a very, very evil place. And it is not too hard that if a woman does have a femme fatale that has the ability to attract um, men on the outside, um, that one puts one's, oneself in a very compromising position. And this is what happened. Dina was a beautiful girl. Um, she went out. She unwittingly socialized with with uh with with the, the 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 outside society and that's exactly what happened she got kidnapped and she got raped something that we know happens over and over and over again so again to be very very clear i completely and utterly condemn any type of sexual maltreating of women etc etc but at the same time um it is the responsibility of the woman to ensure that she um walks with dignity, with integrity, with modesty, and with a sense of responsibility and understanding that when you do go out, um, you are exposing yourself to a world that can be very, very cruel. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and uh, we are dissecting the rape of Dina and the the consequent repercussions. So this. This is why it says that Dina, the daughter of Leah that was born to Yaakov, okay, Leah was, had a masculine, um, propensity, so to speak, because she was supposed to be a boy. She was very confident. She went out in a place that she should not have gone to. And there were also, a, um, the Midrash tells us there were six sins that Yaakov had committed that, that, that exposed Dina for, for what, for what befell Dina. The first is, is that, um, he felt a bit of pride when God told him you will dominate the lower 
world. Okay, so what happened was here was an, was a lesson to to Yaakov that um, the people of Shem did not respect him. The second is is that um, he allowed his daughter to explore the outside of the house by herself um, in a strange and an immoral. Um, city, and he should, as a parent, have acted far more responsibly. And this is something, again, a second point that I want to bring out, that whilst each and every single woman should have, uh, you know, the viewpoint of understanding when she goes out into the world to conduct herself with morality, integrity, and modesty, um, for younger children, you know, today there is a tremendous amount of peer pressure and a tremendous amount of pushback with teenagers wanting to do what they want to do. But it is the moral guidance of the parents that is a huge responsibility. And uh, Yaakov perhaps fell short of that responsibility. Now, one more deeper uh, message is that Yaakov concealed Dina in a chest when she met Asaph. Why? Because he thought that because she's so beautiful, Asaph would have wanted to marry her. I would have wanted to take her by force, and he didn't want to do that. And that came as a source of punishment for him that this is what happened to Dina now. Why? Because the Midrash tells us that when a when a, a a man who is wicked marries a woman who is pious, because of the moral integrity of a woman, she is able to have influence on her. And perhaps he should have allowed and thought better to allow her to marry Asaph, who, of course, was a son of Yitzchak. Um, it was his brother. He was circumcised. He was brought up in the house of Abraham and Yitzchak. Um, and she, because she was um, a holy individual, it would have been very possible for her to cause Asaph to improve his ways if he married her. And he would he would have seen her good ways and he would have changed her. Okay? And that was the power of Dina. Just by the way, much later, she marries Eov, Job. Now, Job was a Gentile. She caused him to become a convert, and he eventually himself became a great uh, saint. So can you imagine if he had allowed her to marry Asaph? You know, that really, really would have worked out much, much better. Also, Yaakov was being punished because he was delaying his vow. He was on his way home to go to his parents. He tarried. He landed up sitting um, um, in Shemna for 18 months. That was not necessary. So he landed up being punished for that. Um, so that is really where, where she landed up getting into this problem. So now let's go into this, in this whole thing about rape. Just by the way, the Midrash goes and says Dina was an eight year old girl. It was a rape of a minor. Okay. It was, um, the impetuous, violent behavior of a, a young man who was the son of the chieftain and obviously he had a sense of entitlement and believed he could do whatever he wanted to do. And after he does what he wants to do, he comes to his father to help him not only get out of it, but to plan not only to have Dina as 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 his wife because he's so infatuated with her how, how could he possibly love her just after raping her um but uh, to also try and seize all the goods and stuff that Yaakov had now what's very very interesting is an interesting lesson that Yaakov Yaakov teaches us is that Yaakov when he hears that his daughter um gets raped okay he doesn't immediately 
go, you know, with the blazing guns into, into the city and start wreaking havoc. He actually remains silent until his sons come home so that he can liaise with them. Just a simple lesson over here. When you're really angry and you ha- even are justified in your anger, don't show your anger. Take a deep breath. Wait a couple of hours. Sit down. Let things relax and then decide on how you are going to behave. Um, the sons of Yaakov come up with an ingenious plan because to go and try fight against the city of Shechem, which outnumbered them enormously, would not have been something that they would be able to do. So they militarily work out a strategic plan to weaken the population in order for them to to um, help their daughter, their daughter and their sister. So what do they say to Shechem and Hamor? They go and say, we can't give you our daughter because you are not circumcised. Now, again, remember, Shechem and Hamor have got ulterior motives. They want to lay their hands on all the personal fortune of Yaakov. And so having a circumcision didn't really seem like much to do about anything. And they managed to convince the people to do that. And so what actually happens is that they're happy to go with it. Now, the very first thing over here in um, giving a, 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 a reason to what seemingly looks like a very violent reaction of Yaakov uh, and his sons, particularly Shimon and Levi, is can you see they never said, I'm sorry, once. That, sorry, it was morally you know, reprehensible to go and take an eight-year-old girl and rape her. That never, ever entered into the conversation. That never, ever entered into their minds. And that showed the immorality of the people they were dealing with. And they recognized that, the sons. And so they agreed uh, and convinced the men of the town, who were as morally reprehensible as they were, to circumcise because they believed the beauty that was waiting them was far greater than just the mere raping of an eight-year-old girl. This is a huge lesson because when you go and devalue moral standards to a point where nothing, nothing much to do about nothing when an eight-year-old girl gets raped and emphasis is more on acquisition and material wealth, it actually shows the moral fabric of the society that they were living in. They had not, um, according to Jewish law, fulfilled the seven mitzvahs of B'nai Noach, which is for the non-Jewish world, and that is that you should have uh, uh, um, courts of law. You should have policemen. You should have, uh, you should, you, you're not allowed to commit adultery. You're not allowed to, to murder. You're not allowed to do any of those things. The fact that not one person in the entire city went and said, to Hamor and to Shechem, no, we disagree. We do not want to circumcise. Like this is not about uh, circumcision. This is about your desire for just getting more. And it really doesn't matter that how you're getting it comes from a disgusting, disgusting, rep- morally reprehensible act of violence against a minor. Nobody thought like that. They willingly went for the circumcision because they were all they were immorally, they were bankrupt, bankrupt morally from any sense of knowing what's right and what's wrong. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. 
So to sum up, and there is still so much to talk about, Shimon and Levi, their response was appropriate. To look at a society that is completely immoral and has, they have absolutely no qualms as what, you know, as, as to actually understanding the rights and the respect um, that one has to give another human being, they deserve to be destroyed. And so that is what they did. And really, one can only just wonder if something like this happened today, how many sides would be arguing against don't do this and don't hurt this and only do this and only do that. But at the end of the day, as a society, we need to stand up for morality. Not one, one person um, in the town of Shechem did, did that. And therefore, their response was appropriate. To end, just very interestingly, unfortunately, from that rape, um, Dina fell pregnant and she gave birth to a daughter whom she named Osnat. And very, very interestingly, um, what happened was uh, we are told that the brothers were very incensed because this child um, seemingly would be an immoral, uh, a child born of immoral circumstances. And the angel Michael, Michal, came and took this child, brought it to Egypt, and she was adopted by none other than the um, the 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 the, the um, Potiphera, okay, uh, Potiphera. That is the woman whom Yosef eventually lands up working in because um, they were Potiphar and his wife. Um, were childless and they adopted this child. What actually happens later is that Osnat becomes the wife of Yosef and gives birth to the final two tribes, Manashe and Ephraim. A lot of cosmic um, comings and goings, and quite honestly, this would make for a fabulous, uh, a fabulous plot. Um, other opinions say that Shimon brought Dina to his house, the brother Shimon. She remained a spinster for the rest of her life. And in fact, that one can go find her grave today that is found in the village of Arbel, not far from Natiai, the Arbelite. So this is a very, very interesting um, chapter of Genesis, something that could and should be dissected more. But unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, if you have any other questions or comments, I'm happy to see for it next week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And in the meantime, Shavuot Tov. Have a wonderful week ahead.